Luke chapter 1 is where we are. We're going to be in verse 26 through 80 today. Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of limited time. Luke chapter 1. You know, last week we began to uh, endeavor on our study of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. Uh, just a little quick recap. Um, Luke is most likely a Gentile that's a non-Jew, or at least he's a Hellenistic Jew. That's someone with a Greek influence. And uh, he's a doctor. He accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys. He was uh, shipwrecked with Paul. He was imprisoned with Paul. The guy was all in. The guy was all in. And Luke, uh, not only did he write the gospel according to Luke here, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And Luke wrote both the book of Acts and the book of Luke to a guy named Theophilus, who's most likely a Gentile ruler. And the reason Luke penned this gospel is found in verse 4, if you look at it in your Bibles, in chapter 1, where it says, It's so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. How many of you have been taught in Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden the world comes in, philosophies come in, culture comes in, and it starts to be undermined, and you start to doubt the certainty. Oh, and you run into professors to say, oh, that's just written by a bunch of people. And then I ask them, oh, have you read it? And the answer is no, usually. That they heard that, that they heard that, that they heard that, but they haven't really investigated themselves. And here Luke is in, uh, grabbing a bunch of eyewitnesses, people who were actually there and who saw the accounts of things, is pulling their firsthand information into an orderly account so this guy, Theophilus, might know the certainty of what he'd been taught. Now Luke had no clue what God would do 2,000 years later in a city called Walla Walla with people gathered together reading this letter that was meant for this one guy. That's pretty cool, huh? What God will do through us, our faithfulness in reaching out with the gospel, trying to edify someone maybe who, who's just weak in their faith or who might be being attacked. And some of us are kind of, um, I don't know about you, but I, I get kind of timid maybe, and I don't, I don't want to jump in too much or I want to stay behind. And just, you know, Luke just kind of went out there and just, he just used the gifts that God had given him to bless someone. Now, you might not be able to pen an epistle. You might be able to write a letter or come alongside someone or just to encourage them, write a song for them, put a mixtape, whatever a mixtape is, a mix MP3 set at a playlist, whatever you call it now. I'm dating myself. But whatever, to encourage people in the Lord, amen? I find that um, one of my ways of encouraging people is come alongside them and talk to them. Or I often, you know, I'll shoot them a song or two or, or point them to an article or whatever it might be. Just those types of things. And so you'll find that God will use you in your way. But Luke is, is a doctor. He's got this mind to him. He, he wants to bring order into chaos. And here he is laying it out for uh, Theophilus and for us. And so the recap is in verses 1 through 25, Luke is going to tell us a story that is leading up to the birth of Christ. Because the Gospels are all about Jesus Christ. Well, who is the person who would herald Jesus Christ, who would usher in Jesus Christ? It was a guy named John the Baptist. And so that's where he starts in verses 1 through 25. And so there was a priest named Zacharias during the time of King Herod, which would be around the year zero, just for many of us there, year zero. And Zacharias had a wife named Elizabeth. Something I didn't point out last week that John Rajkowski reminded me of. He said, uh, you know, it's interesting that Zechariah's name means Jehovah remembers, and Elizabeth's name means the oath or promise of God. It's very interesting. And, and so you have Zechariah, the Jehovah remembers, and Elizabeth, the oath or the promise of God. God remembers his promise. Very interesting that these two would be the ones whom John the Baptist, whose name John means uh, the grace of God, uh, would be the forerunners of the promise of God, which is Jesus Christ. You know, the promise to Abraham was that through his seed, all the nations would be blessed. That's speaking of Jesus Christ, through his descendants. And so they had a son named John, obviously means gracious, and he was to be the one that would be prepare, prepare the way for Jesus or Joshua. If your name is Joshua, same thing, Jesus, which means God is salvation. That's what Jesus' name is. Do you know that? Jesus means God is salvation. That's what Joshua means. 
Yeshua. And so you have the promise of God remembered and the grace of God preceding the salvation of God. It's pretty interesting. Beautiful pictures. And that's all in real time. That's all in real time. God is working these things into history, into people's names, and they don't even understand what's going on. God is sovereign, how he is working in and through our daily circumstances right now to bring about his will. We not, not, might not see it when we're down in it, but he is. And that's the wonderful thing about our God when we have this bird's eye view of the scriptures. So Zacharias and Elizabeth were very old and unable to have children. And Zacharias was serving in the temple when the angel Gabriel appeared to him and let him know that his wife Elizabeth would have a son. And they were to name him John. And his ministry was the ministry of repentance and, and, and preparation. Uh, calling the nation to turn from their sin and to turn back towards God. Very religious society, a very church society, a very uh, uh, did all those things, and yet they were far from the heart of God. Is that possible to go to church to do all the things and yet have your heart heart far from God? Absolutely. God says they were in great darkness, actually, and one of the greatest darknesses we can have is religious darkness. And I don't know about you, but I've been there. And God is merciful when He sends people into our lives to turn us back from our darkness, back to Him. And that was John's message, not only to return, turn people's hearts out of sin, away from sin, but back towards God to prepare them for Messiah. And so repentance is the work of the Holy Spirit to prepare us for the work of God in our lives, the things He wants us to do, the things that would keep us from God moving in and through us is a lack of repentance, a lack of brokenness, a lack of surrender in our lives and in, in a, in a, in a hard-heartedness in our own will and our own way. God won't work with that, as we'll see with the story of Mary. But when a heart is surrendered to Jesus Christ, I tell you what, God, is, that's, those are the people He works with in, in and through. And so Luke continues to tell the story of this orderly account and because Zacharias did not believe the angel when he said the Messiah would come and his wife would bear the son, Zacharias, uh, the angel caused Zacharias to be mute until the appointed time, which was several months later when his son John was born. And so Luke continues to tell us an orderly account here, picking up in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, uh, a town in, Ga- in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Gabriel uh, seems to be God's messenger of prophecy to the nation of Israel. Just seems like the guy pops in in Daniel and other places. Well, we see it with uh, Zacharias and we see it with Joseph and we see it with Mary. Joseph in a different gospel. But Mary was pledged to be uh, married to a man named Joseph. Now, some of you have heard of the, have the translation that says betrothed. How many of you have that in there? In okay, some of you are old King Jamesers or new King Jamesers that say betrothed. And the idea is pretty much like engagement in our idea. The only thing is it's as if you were married. There weren't any other options. In other words, you were given over to that person. It was just a matter of coming together physically that would seal the deal. And really that's a picture of Christ in the church. We're betrothed. We're his. We've already pledged our lives to him. It's just a matter of us coming together physically on that day. In other words, we will see our, our, our husband, so to speak. Amen? So it's an image. It's a picture. But betrothal was basically marriage without that consummation. And it's Jewish, and it's a beautiful picture. We are betrothed to Christ. And so Mary was to have no other. She was pledged to Joseph. And the angel went to her and said, verse 28, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Again, we often have a misconception of what angels look like and their effects upon humans. How many of us grew up with angels being uh, beautiful ladies or angels being um, little fat chubby kids with little wings and little bows and arrows? No, it's not what we see. Um, we don't see this uh, gentleness about them. We see a very, well, there might be a, a grace about them, but we actually have a description of Gabriel. And, and really, uh, back in Daniel 10 or back, back in Daniel 9, but without exception, angels reveal themselves in their glorified state. When they do that, instant fear and trouble and great despair come upon human beings. 
When they see that, they just go, quite often they say, and I fell as though I were dead, or trembling, and all that stuff. It's just, it's, it's crazy. So just a real quick picture, Gabriel uh, is, is pictured here in Daniel chapter 9, verse 21. I'll read it for you. On the 24th day of the first month, as I, Daniel, was standing on the bank of a great river Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold before me, uh, a gold uh, belt of gold from Uphaz, or whatever that is, around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like gleaming of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of the multitude. Not a chubby little baby kid. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. Just the very presence, even though they couldn't see it, the presence of an angelic being had an effect upon them. And this is why I wonder when uh, the demonic realm is present, which are fallen angels, we all of a sudden have fear and unexplained feelings upon us that we quite often often uh, relegate to something else, it very well might be a demonic presence because they just have that effect on human beings. And to be able to discern that and to pray towards that instantly and to realize we have the armor of Christ is the very important thing. But so I left, and I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. And then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. He has to repeat himself, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. He has to physically grab him, lift him up. Angels are fierce. And their angel means messenger of God. Angels are messengers of God. Did you know that? And they're sent to minister to the saints. To you, to me. When Jesus, after he was in temptation, if you remember that period, what happened to him? It says at the end of the 40 days after he'd been tempted that angels were sent to what? To minister to him. It is humanity. So you see, when Mary was greatly troubled at his words and fearful, it wasn't saying like, oh darn, you know, this is a weird situation. She was undone. She was undone. But the angel says, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. Isn't that sweet? Verse 31, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Hallelujah. Now, when Mary heard the angels saying these things, she would instantly have known that he was talking about the Messiah because he is quoting the promises given to Abraham and to David, things that a Jewish person at that time would have known. It's just, it's like the ABCs to them. God made his promise to Abraham back, way back in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. I'll read it for you. There's other places, but this is the general one. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, before he was Abraham, neat story. The reason why in, he, in Hebrew that he's not, he became Abraham is because they added the word, which is the, word for, which is the letter for spirit. It's very interesting. Same with Sarah, came Sarai. The word for spirit, the letter for spirit got inserted into their name. They became different people. Very interesting. But now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make, you a great, uh, make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and on him who dishonors you, I will curse you. I will curse them, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through you, in you, those words are hard to parse there, but basically through his descendants, and it's really his descendant, Jesus, all the nations will be blessed. And that is the promise, and it's kind of obscured when you get to Abraham. It's just kind of a general promise. Through your people, all the nation will be blessed. You see, the Bible is funneling it down from a nation 
to a, you know, to a group of people and eventually down to a person, Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. Thus, all the genocide in the Old Testament trying to annihilate the Israelites because the enemy wants to kill off the seed, the one. You ever notice when you're reading stories in the Old Testament and all of a sudden it jumps off into some weird story and jumps back to the main story? You wonder why that is. Why does it tell the story of Rahab and the spies? Well, what's so significant about that? Well, Rahab is a descendant of Jesus Christ, or Jesus is a descendant of Rahab, the harlot, also of Ruth, also of, you know, of, of Judah and Tamar, this unsavory situations that go on in Scripture. And you just see these little things. It's the, it's the scarlet uh, thread that goes through Scripture, Jesus, the lineage of Jesus Christ. And when we get here to Luke, we're going to see a genealogy. And the purpose of the genealogy, how many of you read genealogies in, in the New Testament? You're like, oh gosh, let's get over this. <laughs> That's what the Bible is tracking. Jesus. Jesus is in the genealogy. The whole purpose of it is to get to. He's a son of Adam, and he's a son of the king, David. It's really interesting. It's fascinating when you get into it. But this is a very broad general promise to Abraham. God wasn't just talking about the descendants of Abraham. He was speaking of the Messiah who would come through Abraham. But God also later would make a covenant through David. Years later. And this is, there, so there was the Davidic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, okay? These are covenants that God made with them, all kind of funneling down and clarifying as you go. The Davidic covenant is in a couple different places, but 1 Chronicles chapter 17, 11 through 4 says, When your days are fulfilled, speaking to David, to walk, uh, to walk with your fathers when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me. And I will establish his throne forever, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, and I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who is before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. And so promise, uh, the promise goes from a people to a family to a person. And here Mary is told that person is going to be your son. And imagine knowing all of this prophecy and all of a sudden, it's you. It's your son. That's a very amazing and humbling situation. That person will be your son and his name shall be Jesus. He shall be, his name shall be Jehovah saves. He shall be salvation. And he shall be great. And he shall be called the son of the most God. High God, and he will rule over Jacob's descendants, and his rule will never end. That's our king. And Mary, who most believe is about probably around 15 years old, uh, responds in verse 34. How is this going to be? How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Now, Zacharias asked a question when he was told that his wife would have a, have a child, right? And what, is, what happened to Zacharias when he asked the question? He got mute. Angel's like, boom. Mary, what happens to her? She's like, she's good. So we obviously have favoritism here. That's the, no, that's not what's going on. One is, one is disbelief, and one is simply, how is this going to happen? There's a difference. One is doubting what God says, and one is saying, how is this going to happen? I don't know. Like, what do I do? That's very important. Mary's question is here is simply, how is this going to happen because I'm a virgin? This is very important in Jewish culture. Our culture is just, it mocks virginity. It mocks it. If you have chosen to be uh, separated until marriage, you know, to be holy in that manner, which God has prescribed for us, what God has called, you are, you are mocked by the society. Because darkness doesn't like light. Do you know that? Be pure. And if you haven't been pure, repent and turn back to God. That is not God's best for you. It'll wreak havoc for you. But virginity is something that's beautiful. And this is God's best plan for you. And it was God's plan for Mary to remain a virgin until married. And the world has no clue and has lost all sense of morality in America pretty much when it mocks virginity. And so Mary is wondering, how's this going to work out technically? How do I, am I going to break your law? What's going to go on here? You know, I don't, that's a good question. 
perfectly reasonable question to ask for a pure young woman. Verse 35, the angel answered, which really doesn't clarify things for me, but the Holy Spirit will come on you, descend upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, this is not going to be physical. The Holy Spirit will be the reason for your conception, not a man. And Mary would be a virgin and give birth to the Son of God. And this is the doctrine of the virgin birth. This is the doctrine of the virgin birth, which is prophesied. And the idea is that God, that Jesus would be both God and man. Both God and man. It's impossible if it happens the other way, naturally. He'd be of man. But he's with God, of God and man. Verses like John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, if you're taking notes here. Uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, John 10.20, and John 20.28, 20, Romans 9.5. Philippians 2.6, Colossians 2.9, Titus 2.13, Hebrews 2.7-8, 2 Peter 1.2, 1, 1 John 5.20, all speak of Jesus being God. Don't worry, my notes are right here. You can grab them later. And yet, verses like John 1.14, Romans 1.3, Galatians 4.4, Philippians 2.7 and 8, 1 Timothy 2.5, Hebrews 2.14, 1 John 4.2 and 2 John verse 7 all speak of the humanity of Christ. And so it teaches that Jesus is God, and yet it also teaches that Jesus is man, because he is both God and man. God in the flesh. And so the virgin birth was hinted at in Genesis chapter 3.15 where it says, And I will put enmity, I'll put war between you and the woman and between your offspring or your seed, which would be Jesus, and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Very interesting. It was loosely paraphrased. It's, it's kind of a shadowy thing, but then it gets very clear here in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is 700 years before Christ. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and, he would call, and we would call him Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wow. And so Mary the virgin will be given, given give birth to the Son of God. Verse 35. So the Holy One to be born, of, born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she uh, who said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Boy, underline that. If you ever need to underline anything in Scripture, no word from God will ever fail. I love that about the Lord. I am the Lord's servant, Gabriel. Uh, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words be. Uh, may your words to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. I just love Mary's answer. Let it be as you say. Let it be as you say. I might not understand all the details of everything, but God, I trust you. I trust what you say is going to come about in my life. There are times when God has said things to me or taught me something or shown me something, and I just don't understand how to get from A to B. Anybody have that? And yet God gives you a truth that says you're going to be. Amen? And here's where we go. May it be according to your word. Give me wisdom as we go. That's faith, my friends. It's trusting in Him, regardless of the evidence that you see in front of you. I will bring you through. I will show this. I will resurrect you. You're to do this. You're to do that. Oh, God, but you don't understand my weaknesses. Do you trust me? Trust what I say in your life. For no word from God will ever fail. And we go to the Word of God for those things. Amen? Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled to me. I just love that answer. Verse 39. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zacharias, Zacharias home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her room and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my, in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. Very interesting. The baby would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. That's to say something about children in this day and age. The baby leaped with joy. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is the Magnificat, what they call it. 
for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. His holy, uh, holy is his name. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And so this is the first of six songs penned for us by Luke. Uh, Just briefly, Mary's song holds the theme of humility. Humility. Mary says in verse 46 that God is her what? Savior. God is her Savior. This should destroy and eviscerate any worship of Mary. Mary needed a Savior. What does that say about Mary? She was a sinner. Like all of us. And she, above all people, knew it. And she calls out first that God is her Savior. Mary identifies herself also as being in a humble state. And she calls herself his servant. That word for servant is doulos, which is slave. That's humility. Here Mary is, and she's, she's approached with this truth. And here she is, this young woman. And, and what do we see in her heart? We see a humility. We see a submissiveness. We see a brokenness before God. That is so beautiful in God's eyes. That is what God longs for. Especially you young ladies here today. That is what God longs for. The world looks at that and mocks that and says you're weak and you're... That is not what the Lord says. That's not what He sees. He sees such beauty in that. It's who He created you to be. In His sight, His daughter. You fathers know what I'm talking about. But Mary in verse 48, real quickly, um, for there, we see the nature of God and who he chooses to work through. I think this is important. When I read Mary's thing, I see the nature of God and I see who he chooses to work through. The humble, those who are poor in spirit, those who are low in stature, Those are the people that God works through and chooses to work through. Mary says in verse 48, He has been mindful of me in my helpless estate. He extends mercy to those who what? Who fear Him. He scatters those who are proud in their their thinking. God brings down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the what? The humble. He fills the hungry with what? With good things. But sends the rich away with nothing. You know, these are the themes of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 when he does the Beatitudes. When he opens up and said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Mary was humble, and God chooses humble people quite often to do great things through him. And this is why I'm nervous for our nation when we say we're going to make America great again. Now, I'm not getting political, but there is a pride we've got to be careful of, as if we're going to do anything. The way that you make America great again is you fall on your face and cry out to God and repent and humble yourselves and He'll have mercy on you and He'll raise you up. That is the way we do it. And so as the church... As the church, even though we see pride all around us and all those things, we are to be the people who fall on our face and intercede for our nation. Regardless of what else goes on, we call out to God and have mercy upon us. Amen? Have mercy upon our government. We pray for our leaders. We don't mock them. We don't condescend them. None of those things. That is not to be hinted out among the church. We do not do that. We pray for our leaders. Amen? No matter who they are, where they are, what they've done, or whether you agree or disagree with their policies, all that stuff, we fall on our knees and we pray that God would be merciful to them and to us. That we live peaceful and quiet lives. That we wouldn't have wars and that we wouldn't have all these things. That we would have God's Spirit among us, able to worship Him in freedom and also proclaim Him freely. We're asking for these things. So let that Spirit be among us. Amen.
But don't think for a second that pride, not not to say we don't do things, right? But that pride, that self-pride, is going to get us anywhere. Actually, that's where James says that wars come from. Because you do not have and want, and you covet and you do not have. So be careful. Where do striving and wars come among, among you? From the flesh. Which is, the root of the flesh is what? It's pride. So be careful. That's, a, that's something the Lord shared with me and wanted to share with you this morning. Take it, chew it out. If it's, you feel like that's from the Spirit, keep it. If not, then throw it away. I feel like that's something the Lord wanted to share. But these are those themes of Jesus' teaching of being poor in spirit, hunger and thirsting after righteousness. The key to greatness is humility in the kingdom of God. The key to greatness in the kingdom of man and Satan is pride. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Satan said five times. Very important to know. Let us, let us, let us, let us build this thing. When you hear that, watch out. Mary was humble. She was a woman of the word and she knew the promises of God and she leaned upon him, even in her own weakness. I love that. That's who we're to be, amen? Verse, verse 54, real quickly again. He, was, uh, <clears throat> he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestor. She's leaning on the promises of God, that he would be merciful. What kind of children are we raising up? What kind of daughters are we raising? Are we seeking to model humility before them? You know? Are we seeking to model the word of God before them? Mary is blessed among all women, she says. But notice why she says she's blessed among all women. It's because of who she is and all she's accomplished and her, you know, all these things. No, it's because God had mercy upon her and was just, she was nothing. And God says, I'm going to make you blessed among all because you were what? Least of all. What does Jesus say? Greatest in the kingdom is what? Servant of all, the least of all. That should be our attitude. King of kings, Lord of lords comes down and he becomes a servant, washing our feet. That should be the mark of Christian leadership is servanthood. No task is too big or too small for us. We're not... We're not too prideful to where we can't go pick up the cigarette butts or clean the toilets or anything like that. We never dismiss that. That is that's the mark of a servant. The lowliest task is ours. Amen? Why? Because Jesus modeled that for us. He came in the flesh to show us what the kingdom of God is like. The greatest is the least. And that is humility as opposed to pride. Lord, work that in and through us. Mary is rejoicing that God, her Savior, would bring the Messiah through her. She was deeply humbled. And if he exalts you, you will be lifted up because of his mercy. That's important. Verse 56, let's move on. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And so remember, John and Jesus, I think, were cousins, right? Or relatives there. Verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbor and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And then on the eighth day, there came to circumcise a child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. It says Zechariah here, and Zechariah's another place, this is what I'm reading. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. It was customary to name him after one of your relatives or your father or something like that. And then they, they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Remember, this is a patriarchal society. The father had the say. And he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, Listen to my wife. <laughs> right? Read between the lines, guys. His name is John. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began speaking uh, to speak and praising God. Remember his mouth had been shut because he did not believe what God had said. And as soon as he was able to finally say at that appointed time to, to agree with what God had said within his heart, he was able to express it. What happened? Freedom came. Boy, that's a lesson for us. How many of us are mute and dumb and blind because we have rebelled against the word of God? 
But when we press into the word of God, tremendous freedom flows in our lives and our hearts and relationships around us. May that be God's word to you this morning. Amen. But he asked for that writing tablet. He says his name is John. His tongue is free. He began praising God. Verse 65. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, uh, of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn or a strong king of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he said through his, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath. He swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Beautiful. Zacharias is so full of the Holy Spirit and overjoyed. He begins to prophesy. And notice he prophesies the word. I love that. It's not weird. He's, he's saying things that, that, that are found in Scripture. And the prophecy can be broken into two parts, really. This is the second of six songs. They call them songs, but prophecies here. The second part, uh, there's two parts. The first part is 60, verse 67 through 75, and that deals with God's promise of a physical deliverance from, from Israel's enemies. So there's a physical deliver, deliverance. And then verses 76 through 79, where I see a spiritual deliverance from sin. So salvation is saving from your physical enemies and a saving from your, your spiritual condition. How many of us are praying, oh God, save us from our physical things? We're praying for that constantly. Oh God, physical, 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 physical. But what proceeds quite often? Spiritual. And right now, we're uh, in this world, we're in a place where we are not necessarily going to be delivered. We're not going to be saved from the hardships. In this world, Jesus promised, you shall have tribulation. Promise. How many of us underline that one in our Bible? How many of us also underline, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just as he suffered, we shall suffer. We shall suffer. Amen? We long for it. We cry out because we know he is merciful. But I tell you, there is a day when the King of kings and the Lord of lords will touch down and all things will be set right. And we will be with him. Those who not only hear, but do the will of God. So, two parts real quickly. The first part is that God has raised up a king who is going to deliver the people of God from all who hate them. How many, how many of you would like that? To rescue them from their enemies so that they can serve the Lord without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all their days. Now this is true of the Messiah. But this physical deliverance from the enemies of God's people has not happened yet. But will happen when he returns at the second coming, coming as I've said. And this is why the disciples were going, Jesus, are you going to be king now? Because they were looking at the prophecies and thinking it was going to happen then. It was, there was going to be a physical deliverance, but that's not what the case was. That's to come. The Jews had his first coming and his second coming all, all confused, it seemed. The first time he came was a spiritual salvation. The second time he comes, there's going to be a physical one. The first time he came on a donkey, extending peace. The second time he's coming on a war horse. first time he came extending peace and we're still in that period of grace right now where he's longing that all would come to repentance but i tell you what there's a time when he says enough is enough and the tribulation starts to get poured out of the world and at the end of that time jesus christ will come back on a war horse and set up his kingdom physically reign for a thousand years and at the end of the judgment i believe great people disagree about how the order of all that we can that's fine point is, we don't disagree, Jesus is coming back. And he will establish his kingdom. 
And that day he will separate, at the day of judgment actually, at the end of, he will separate the wheat from the tares. Those who are his and who, those who aren't, the sheep from the goats. And so, this first time he came was a spiritual salvation. Jesus alluded to this in Luke 4. We'll get there soon. But he said, in the beginning of verse 16, he says, He went to Nazareth, <clears throat> where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. So he went back to his hometown, he goes into the synagogue, as was his custom, on Saturday, and he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, it was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, which is verse 18 of of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim uh, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners in recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Favor, sorry. And then he rolled up a scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fast on him, and he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus is reading Isaiah 61, but he stops short. He cuts a verse in half. He just stops right in the middle of a verse. And here's, here's what it says. It says that Jesus is, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and, set the free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops. But if you continue on, it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. <laughs> to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a, a spirit of despair. And so he stops, and you see that first and second coming cut in half there. He says the first part is to proclaim the salvation, and the second part is the day of vengeance. Merry Christmas. <laughs> praise the Lord, amen? And we're on that first part. And there's still hope for all those who are around us. Jesus Christ is alive. And if he's in you, just as Mary birthed him, so to speak, physically, he's in us. Let his life flow through us. You see, Jesus came that first time for that spiritual redemption. He's coming that second time for that physical redemption. The day of our faith will be sight. The day of the Lord. The day we are delivered from our enemies. Nevertheless, Zacharias proclaims that truth. That Jesus will deliver us. His people once and for all from the hands of our enemies. And that's the first part of the song. The second part of the song points us to the spiritual salvation. We'll do it real quickly. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on, this is verse 76, before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the what? The tender mercies of our God by which the rising sun, the day spring, will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Is that beautiful or what? I love that poetry. John was to go before the Lord and declare the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. In other words, the world is dark and dead with sin, awaiting judgment, but there is a way to be saved from that judgment through faith in Jesus Christ, who is God's Son, whom from John's time would, would die and take away the sins of the world. And John was there to declare the knowledge of that, the knowledge of Him. And you, in the similar spirit, have been given that same task to go to prepare the way for the Lord, so to speak. He's coming back. This time for judgment. And so we declare that there is a way to be saved through Jesus Christ. That all men should repent and believe. To turn from their sin and believe upon Jesus Christ. That is who we declare. That's why we're gathered here. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I'm really thankful the Lord let me know how to be saved. Because I was living in darkness. And, and, And if he didn't come into my world, no one would have. And he did it through people who sacrificed relationship and were willing to share the truth. I love how Zacharias phrases the heart of God here, verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun, I like to put S-O-N, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the path of peace. How beautiful. 
because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. God is tender and merciful to us. Brothers and sisters, He is tender and merciful to you today. How many of you feel like the darkness has encroached in your life? You've got a rising sun who is tender and merciful to you this morning. How He loves you. And how he longs to shine light into the darkest part of your heart and to free you. He knows the plight we're in. He knows we're in great darkness. He knows the sin in every heart, the rebellion, the path of darkness we trudge through as humanity. Yet because he is tenderly merciful, the rising sun, the son of God, will come to us from heaven. He has come to us and he will shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to that path of peace. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except for me. He shows us the path of peace. Through the cross of Christ, the light, he's the light of the world, the expressed tender mercy of the Father. He leads us to the cross, the path of peace where we find forgiveness and mercy and grace, where sinners become sons and daughters, where darkness becomes light. As Isaiah 1.18 says, Come, now let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. What happened to our landscape over the last week? It almost became unrecognizable. What we had known just got covered. And how many of you were looking for things and you couldn't find it, couldn't even find your car, whatever it was? <laughs> Let us reason together. Though your sins were scarlet, they shall be what? White as snow. Yes, though, though they were as crimson, they shall be white as wool. Beautiful illustration outside of what God has done. It's going to get yucky again in a couple days. But with Jesus Christ, he says he removes your sins as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. It's not just, it's not covered, it's cleansed. It's removed. How many of you don't need a, just a covering, you need a cleansing? You see, that's what God does for us. He doesn't cover, that's Old Testament law. All the sheep and the goats and all that stuff, that was atonement, that was covering. But Jesus, when he came, once and for all, cleansed us. We're white as snow. And our role in this world is to go shine that whiteness, that cleansing power that he's done in us to everyone else. Praise the Lord. So God desires to give us that spiritual salvation to save our souls. And then on that second coming, or when we go home to be the Lord, that physical salvation, a new body, a new heaven, a new earth, and the enemies of God will be judged. And in the heart of God, is that there would be less enemies. And his plan is that those he has cleansed would go and shine. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And Walla Walla, in your workplace, in your family, that's where God has sent you. And you might be going, Lord, do you know me? Are you sure you want to work through me? I can't do a thing. That's right, Mary. That's why he chooses you. He chooses me. So that he can fill us up if we're empty. Amen? And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Verse 80. Yay. Lord God, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. I'm asking that you would empty us of ourselves. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has not received you as your as Savior, um, I ask that you come into their hearts right now. That your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin and they realize that they would need to call out to you and surrender in humility. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. And we will pray for you. And I realize that that is a humiliating thing to do. 
If that's you, we want to pray for you. If you feel like the Lord's calling you this morning to saying, hey, I need to be saved. I need you to save me. Forgive me my sins. I just want to give you a second to raise your hand. Perhaps some of you this morning just need to dedicate your life afresh. Say, Lord, humble me. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Praise the Lord. This is for you and the Lord. This is for your own heart, your own humility. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to embarrass you. He sees you. Anyone else? For those of you who raised your hands, He sees you. He loves you. He realizes you're weak. He realizes that you need Him. And let me tell you, He's put a body around you. He's put people around you to love you and to care for you and encourage you. Let us love you this morning. Come up to one of us and say, I need prayer. I need help. These things are going on in my heart and my life. Don't let the enemy's lies of, oh, you're the only one, or if they only knew. That's not true. We all struggle. We've all been redeemed. We all have had failure. Let the Lord cleanse you and humble you and lift you up today. For those of you who are just too nervous or whatever to raise your hand, it's not about raising your hand. God sees the heart. He sees the heart. But he's going to ask you to do things that are visible. He's going to ask that your faith be walked out. And that's going to require the equivalent of a raising hand. And I want you to know that we're around you to pray for you and encourage you in that. We love you so much. And Father, it's your presence and your power that will empower this church to be the light in this world. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to not only fill us, but to work through us this week. As we humble ourselves and celebrate you, in the name of Jesus, amen.